Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. When I was in the military, I had a friend named Jason. Uh, and Jason had to go temporary duty overseas to Saudi Arabia. And uh, his wife had just been married, uh, obviously wanted to talk to him. He wanted to talk to her. But there was a problem. Uh, they had long lines to the pay phones and very limited access. And so uh, he was able to talk to her maybe once every couple of weeks. And then when he did get to talk to her, it was rushed because there were people behind saying, Hey, get off the phone. We want to turn. You know? And so it was, it was a, a really hard thing for him to have communication with his wife. And why do I tell you that story? Well, because there is a problem, a fundamental problem between man and God. That's a problem of communication. We cannot communicate with God and have a relationship with God because of our sin. So bad was this problem that uh, God, at, at the beginning, had to cast Adam and Eve out of the garden when they sinned. The, the fellowship was broken and angels were posted at the garden to keep them from getting back in. And, and for all of these centuries, mankind was separated from God. Now, finally, God chose to send his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took the penalty for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of the whole world, dying on a cross, bearing the wrath of God, satisfying the justice of God, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And then after spending some time, ascended to heaven. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's going to come back to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus came so that that relationship between man and God could be put back together. That's one of the greatest purposes for Jesus coming. And this scripture that we're going to talk to you to, about today, uh, Nathan probably is, is the writer here, uh, but God definitely is the writer. Uh, and, and the communication is there is that there would be a coming future ruler, a coming future king that would come from David's line and he would rule not just for a temporary time, but he would rule forever. There has never been a king that has fulfilled that prophecy until Jesus. Uh, the Bible says that when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he sat down at the Father's right hand upon his throne. Jesus is ruling from the throne in heaven right now. But one day he's coming back and he's going to rule upon this earth. And he will rule uh, in the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem that will be set up uh, in the future. And he will rule forever. Only Jesus can fulfill that prophecy. Some of the things that are written in this prophecy, we, we, I was talking to you last week about the fact that we had a, uh, a type, a picture uh, in the scripture in Judges last week of Jesus that's yet to come. It wasn't a direct prophecy, but it was a picture. And the week before, we had a prophecy that was a direct prophecy. It was speaking about Jesus and Jesus only. Well, today, we have one that's a combination of the two. Uh, Solomon becomes a picture of Jesus to come. 
But there are some things said in this prophecy that Solomon did not and could not fulfill. These things could only refer to the future coming Jesus Christ. And then there's some things that are said in the scripture that could only refer to Solomon, such as the the scripture that says, if he sins, I will discipline him, because Jesus never sinned. Solomon did sin, and God did discipline him exactly according to the scripture. But it's a combination, so you need to understand there's two references. One reference is to Solomon, David's son, who's going to rule after him. But the greatest reference and the primary reference is to Jesus Christ, who would yet come in the future. And David even says this. He says, Lord, he he responds. Nathan shares the prophecy with David. And David responds by praying to God. And he says, Lord, thank you for speaking about the house of your servant. The Hebrew literally says, from afar. So David realizes it's something more than just his son Solomon. This is a prophecy that looks ahead to the future. Um, David also, uh, in the language here, uses the words um, in addressing God that are only used in one other place in Scripture, and that is in the promise to Abraham. And so David is recognizing that just as God made a promise to Abraham, to the Jewish people for, that would last forever, and there was a seed of Abraham that was going to bless all the nations of the world. So now God is making a promise to David, and he's saying, David, through your son, through your seed, your descendant, uh, there will be a blessing for the world, and not only that, but he will rule forever. Now, he also gives some instruction about what this future king is going to do. He is going to rebuild a temple. Now, I say rebuild. Solomon actually built the first one. But Jesus later on uh, will build a temple in Jerusalem during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Uh, There's a a whole section of the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 40 through 48, if you want to read eight chapters about the temple, uh, that describes a temple that has never been built. It wasn't built in Solomon's day. It wasn't built in the days of Herod's temple, the one that Jesus uh, visited. Uh, and, and, and there was even the temple that will re- be rebuilt during the tribulation period will be different than this temple. Ezekiel 40 through 48 describes a temple that Jesus will build. And so what is the significance of that for you and for me? Well, number one, it means that God wants to have a relationship with you and me. He does. The temple, the tabernacle that came before it, uh, all of the temples that that have been and will be built were built for this one purpose, so that mankind who is sinful could have a relationship with God. That's the purpose of the temple. Now, it was limited because, uh, because of sin, mankind could not enter into the temple proper. Only the priest could enter. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil was ripped in two from top to bottom to show that there was access to God's presence now in a different way. And that access came through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that when you become a child of God, when you receive what Jesus did for you on the cross... You make a choice to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus to forgive you for your sin and give you a home in heaven. The Bible says that you become God's child and that you become the temple 
of God. What's that mean? That means that because the blood of Jesus, when he died for you, has been applied to your life, now you can have fellowship with God. There can be a relationship between me as a sinful man and God as a perfect, holy, righteous, just God. That's the only way that mankind can have a relationship with God is through Jesus. You say, well, why will the temple be built during the thousand-year reign? Well, it will be built, I believe, to help uh, fulfill the relationship that God intended for Israel to have with him in history. And Israel will see those promises and the, and the, the greatness of what God had in store for them during that thousand-year reign, and, and believers as well, but especially Israel. But the temple then will only be a picture of what Christ has done in our hearts. Because Christ has opened up the way for us to have fellowship with God unhindered. There's no separation. There's no veil. There's no wall. There's nothing between you and me and the Father because of what Jesus did. And that's what this scripture is ultimately about. It's about that king that will come to make a relationship possible between sinful man and a holy God. The title of my message is The Blessings of Knowing God. The blessings of knowing God. I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture and then we're going to hone in on two verses. Look with me at uh, 2 Samuel 7 and verse 1. When the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, Look, I'm living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, This is what the Lord says. Are you to build a house for me to live in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not lived in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with the tabernacle tent. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever asked anyone among the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? Now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord says. I took you from the pasture and from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. David was the king. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a name for you like that of the greatest in the land. I will establish, here we go, establish a place for my people Israel and plant them. So that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Did you know that has never been fulfilled? That's going to be fulfilled when Jesus comes back. Israel will live in the land and will be forever secure. Uh, There will be no Palestinian conflict when Jesus comes back. They're going to be secure. Okay, that's what this is saying. Okay, evildoers will not afflict them as they have done ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. That again has never happened yet. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you uh, your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. 
When he does wrong, and this one's parts about Solomon, I will discipline him with a human rod and with blows from others, but my faithful love will never leave him as I removed it from Saul. I removed him from your way. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever. He's talking to David. He says, your house, that is your kingly line, and your kingdom will endure before me forever. And your throne will be established forever. Nathan spoke all these words and this entire vision to David. Then King David went in, sat in the Lord's presence and said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? What have you done so far was, was a little thing to you, Lord God. For you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you, and there is no God beside you, as we have all heard and confirmed. And who is like your people, Israel? God, uh, God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself, to make a name for himself, and to perform for them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people you redeemed for yourself from Egypt. You established your people, Israel, and your own people forever. And you, Lord God, have become their God. Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant and his house. Do as you have promised so that your name will be exalted forever when it is said, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you since you, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. And you have promised this grace to your servant. Now, please bless your servant's house so that it will continue before you, there's that word again, forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. The blessings of knowing God. Um, David says, I want to build a house for you, God. And uh, Nathan says, hey, that's a good idea. Go do it. And then God says to Nathan, you didn't ask me. <laughs> God says, I don't want David to build the house. I want his son Solomon to build a house. But I have a plan for David. And I don't want David to be building my house because I'm building David his house. His kingly line. And so... Nathan shares this with David. David gratefully uh, prays to the Lord and asks God to bring it to pass. And God shows us three blessings of knowing God here in this scripture. And I want you to hone in on verse 13. The second part of verse 13 says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God gives us the blessing of, number one, a secure relationship. A secure relationship. When I went to pastor my first church, there was a, uh, a pastor there who, had, who was retired and he was in the church. And good man, I really, really loved him. Uh, but he told me, he said, uh, he said I, like doing, 
I like doing funerals a whole lot better than doing weddings. And I said, well, why is that? He says, because when I do a funeral, they stay dead. Uh, and and I, I kind of laughed. But it's true. You know, and he had, he had stood with, with many a couple who had pledged their vows, and, and then they'd gone and they'd got divorced. And so he was frustrated. He said, I'd rather do a funeral. At least they'll stay dead. Uh, can you know, sometimes relationships are not secure in this life, are they? And even that phrase in the wedding ceremony, until death do us part, is a reality. If you live long enough and Jesus tarries, one day you will die. I will die. Uh, and uh, somebody once said, one out of one people die. And that's true. Uh, you will die. And, and so that relationship with that spouse will be ended when you die. Uh, relationships that we have with friendships sometimes change, don't they? You have friendships. You may be close to one person during this certain season of your life, and then uh, you, you go separate ways, or you, or you begin to be interested in different things, and somehow that friendship just seems to not be what it once was. Uh, things change and are a constant state of flux, but I'm going to tell you something that will never change, and that is your secure relationship with God. Why? Because Jesus is the one who made it possible and the one who sustains it. And he will reign forever. There will never be a time where your relationship with God will ever be broken. God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's not a great thing to know. I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian is to know that God is there for you. In all seasons of life. He's there in the good times. He's there in the times of struggle. Uh, he's there when, when you have doubts. He's there when you're not where you need to be spiritually. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you know what the Bible says? To be absent from the body for the child of God, for the person who put their trust in Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I won't be separated from God at death. The moment I take my last breath, if Jesus tarries, I will instantaneously be in the presence of God. That relationship lasts forever. And someday Jesus is going to give the command, and if, I, and if I'm in the ground, I'm going to come up out of the ground. If I'm ashes, I'll come up and I'll become a new body. If I'm out there in the ocean somewhere, I will be raised up, given a new body. And my spirit will be joined to that new body, and I will still be in the presence of God. And the Bible says, and so shall we always be with the Lord. It's a secure relationship. I want to tell you something. Relationship with Jesus Christ is like nothing else in this world. It lasts. And you know what the Bible says? I, the Lord, do not change. God says he doesn't change. You can rely on him. Have you ever had anybody let you down in life? I'm sure you have. If you've lived any time at all. Jesus will never let you down. He is always the same. He's always faithful. He's always true. And your relationship with him will last forever. That means that when you go through times where you are not where you need to be, when you're struggling, I love that, uh, uh, that scripture verse that says, God is greater than our hearts. He's greater. He is when you are struggling, he is greater. He is able to come alongside you and help you and give you what you need in that time. 
He is always the same. So you can count on him to be faithful, to always love you. Your relationship is secured by the work of Jesus Christ. The price has been paid forever, and you're his. You can have a secure relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, the great thing about God is he takes us in our sin because not a one of us comes to Jesus with a righteous, clean slate. He takes us in our sin. He saves us. He wipes out that sin. He makes us his child. And then he treats us as though we deserved all the blessings of heaven. Did you know that? Jesus takes off Joshua's filthy garment. This is in the book of Zechariah. And he puts on a beautiful, shining, white robe. That's a picture of what Jesus does for each and every one of us when we put our trust in Christ. He wipes away the sin. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Hallelujah. Jesus took my sin. My relationship is secure. And because of what Jesus did, the Bible says we have access to the Father. Do you know Jesus uh, is interceding for us at the Father's right hand? Uh, And as he intercedes, the Bible says he has gone into the holy place in heaven before us. Now, what he's saying is Jesus makes it possible for us to enter God's presence, and he will always be there for us. That means that no matter what situation you find yourself in, if you're a child of God, you can call upon the Lord. Are you in the heat of temptation? You can call on the Lord. Are you struggling or in need? You can call on the Lord. Are you uh, filled with, with praise? Call upon the Lord. No matter what the situation in your life, the access to God will never be closed because Jesus is there for us. It's a secure relationship. I tell you what, I ought to get you excited. What an amazing, amazing gift God has given us through Jesus. So, the blessings of knowing God, God first gives us the blessing of a secure relationship. Secondly, he gives us the blessing of an intimate relationship. Look at verse 13, the first part of verse 13. He will build a house for my name. Now, Jesus will build a house. We talk about the Millennial Temple. Let's set that aside. Jesus will build a house in your life. You say, what in the world are you talking about, preacher? The Bible says, we are his workmanship. Ephesians 2. The, the Greek word literally means that we are the result of what he has done. When a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ, they become a new creation in Christ. They are what the Bible calls born again, regenerated, whatever you want to call it. God puts new life in their heart. He changes them. He makes them his child. And then God begins the work. Jesus begins the work of growing you 
in your Christian walk. Now, you have a role in that too, and that is to cooperate with that growing process. God doesn't force you to do it. But Jesus is doing that work, and so he is building a house. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I, I would never give my heart to, to Christ. I never go to church until I get my life straightened up. Well, stop waiting for that. It's never going to happen. You're not going to get your life straightened up. You can't get your life straightened up. There is no one who can straighten you up the way you need to be straightened up except Jesus Christ. But when you give your heart to him, you will become his workmanship. And he will begin to do his work in your life. He will make you that new creation in Christ. And then he'll begin to work on you and grow you spiritually in your life. And you will be the result of his artistry. Is that not a cool thought? And what is the purpose of all this? Your relationship with God. Jesus' work of building in your life, his making you God's workmanship, is to make you a fit place for greater fellowship with the Father. That's God's purpose. Peter puts it this way. He says, you've come to the living stone that's been rejected. And that has, you know, has been, uh, been raised from the dead and so forth. He says, you've come to Jesus Christ. He is the living stone. He is the cornerstone. He said, but he is building you as living stones. What's he saying? He's building you into a temple. He's building you into a spiritual temple, a place where God can dwell. Is that not an amazing thought that God loves you enough and me enough that he would send Jesus and that Jesus loves us enough to make us God's temple. Paul said it this way, know you not that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's what life's about. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. Elsewhere in John it says, he who has the Son, Jesus, has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life and the wrath of God remains on him. The Bible says that the one that has Jesus has life. Jesus said, I came that they might have life abundantly. What's he talking about? That is, when you become a child of God, you have the ability to walk in the abundant life through a relationship with God. It's about a person. Christianity is about a person. Not primarily about the things we do, all the things we do at church are important. It's not primarily about that. It's about a relationship between man and God. And Jesus Christ, through that relationship, brings the abundant life, the peace that passes understanding, joy unspeakable and full of glory. How does that come about? It comes about through an intimate relationship between man and God. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus satisfies. He does. Walking with him is the greatest blessing in this life. The devil will, will, and this world will say, hey, uh, God's trying to steal your joy. God doesn't want you to have any fun. It's the opposite of the truth. The truth is, when you give your heart to Christ and God comes to live within you, you have the ability for the first time to really live. To really know what life's about. To really walk in that intimacy with God that God designed you. Why did God create a garden for Adam and Eve? So that he could come down in the cool of the day and walk with them and have fellowship with them. God cares about relationship with you and me. 
And that is the place where we find fulfillment in life. If you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you to give your heart to Christ today so that you can begin this intimate walk with with God, this secure relationship that God wants you to have. And if you know Christ, I'm going to encourage you, walk in obedience. Ask God for the filling of the Holy Spirit and ask the Spirit to live through you so that you can walk in the fullness of what God has for you, that fullness of that sweet relationship with Christ so that you can grow in your walk with God. That's where true joy is found. So, the blessings of knowing God, first of all, a secure relationship. Secondly, an intimate relationship. And third, an honored relationship. An honored relationship. Look at verse 14. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Now, God has given a prophecy that is duly focused, okay? He's talking about Solomon and the special care he will have for Solomon and David's house. Did you know the northern kingdom that broke away uh, from, from, the, from David's uh, descendants and became their own nation, they went into captivity a whole lot faster than the southern kingdom because they were living in sin. But God said for, over and over again, for the sake of my servant David, for the sake of my servant David, I won't send them. I won't send them. I won't send them. And so uh, 722 B.C., Israel goes into captivity, the northern kingdom. And then in 586 B.C., the southern kingdom finally goes into captivity. Why? Because they were of the house of David. And God had pledged his special care for the house of David. But, but this prophecy is not just talking about that. It's also talking about Jesus. Jesus, the great son that Psalm 2 talks about. Psalm 110 talks about, uh, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. I, you are my son. And he's speaking about that, that time that Jesus has always been God's son in eternity past to eternity future because Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's God. But there was a special sense in which when Jesus had won the victory over sin and death, he'd risen from the dead, and he ascends to heaven that God begins to honor him. And he says, I'm putting you in the place of exaltation. You are my son. And today, we're going to honor you. And then someday, when we get back, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Jesus, because of his, of his heart for God, has been going, going to be honored in that way. But let me tell you this. This relationship between God the Father and God the Son is what God intends for you and me to have with the Father. Jesus said, abide in, abide in me and I in you. And he talks about the fact I abide in the Father and he abides in me. And, and, and the idea is that when we walk with God, we have this same kind of fellowship that is there with the Trinity. You know what God does when you make a decision to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ? He adopts you into his family. And he calls you son or daughter, however the case may be. You are a child of the king. It's an honored relationship. 
I dare say if, the, if the, uh, uh, one of the presidents came to our service, there would be honor shown to him, right? His children came. There would be honor shown to them. The, the, the sacredness of the office. I'm going to tell you something. You and I are the children of the king. That's an honored relationship. Have you ever thought about that? We are our children of the king because Jesus took our place on the cross and his blessings are credited to us. It's what the Bible calls justification. It's not only are we acquitted from sin, but we are clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. We are given the blessings of heaven. Ephesians says you are seated at the right hand of God the Father with Christ, in Christ. That's where you are. It's an honored relationship. That's what Jesus, Jesus on the cross said these words. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in eternity past and after that to eternity future, Jesus' fellowship with the Father was broken. Because he was taking your sin and my sin upon himself to pay the price. Why did Jesus do that? So that we could have that fellowship. Jesus was separated in fellowship so that we could have the fellowship. Jesus experienced the loss of that place of honor so that we could have that place of honor. Now, Jesus is being honored now, but he was our substitute on the cross. And because of that, you and I are given an honored relationship. God the Father is your daddy. You really think about that. We used to have a man in our church in Oneida, and he would call God daddy. He'd say, I thank you, daddy, that you've done these things for me, daddy. And he would, he'd pray like that. But you know, that's the truth. He's our daddy. You have a privileged place. I dare say... Now, some people don't have a good relationship with their parents. I understand that. But in a good, healthy relationship, usually there's a special favor for your children, isn't there? You know, I remember when my little girl uh, would come up to me, and maybe she'd gotten in trouble or something, and Megan, and she would, uh, she'd come up to my chair, and I'd be sitting in my chair, and she'd say, Daddy, can I sit with you? And you talk about melting. You know, I was just a limp noodle. Of course, you know. And there's just a special honored place for your child. That's how God feels about you. Get a hold of that. You have an honored relationship with God. And the only reason you have it is because Jesus was good enough to go to the cross for you and me. He lived a perfect life for you and me. That's why one day when we get our rewards in heaven, the Bible says we're going to cast them at Jesus' feet because he's worthy. You have an honored relationship with God if you know him. So as a Christian, take advantage of that relationship. Spend time with God on a daily basis. Don't allow yourself to miss out on the blessing God designed you to know. 
by placing that to the side in your life. Spend that time with God. Grow in Him. Uh, Take the time to read His Word and to listen to what He has to say to you. Do that because why? Because as you grow in that relationship with God, it will become more sweet. There's an old song that said, He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, the love between my Lord and I. And it's true. As you grow in your walk with God, it's just going to get sweeter. Sometimes, you, sometimes there's some heavy waiting. Sometimes there's a little struggle when you have your time with God. There, there may be distraction. You may not feel like it. You know, how many of you are not morning people? I mean, I, I can testify, okay? Uh, me and Megan, neither one of us are morning people. And uh, Sherry and Dave, well, Dave is not so much as he used to be, but Sherry kind of springs out of the bed, you know, and, and never mind. But anyway, there are struggles sometimes in your walk with God. I mean, there are. But pay the price. Spend that time with him anyway. Ask God, say, Lord, help me, help me hear from you today. Speak to my heart. Show me something from your word. And, and I'm going to do this as a step of commitment to you. Why? Because as you do that, it gives God the opportunity to begin to work in your life. And Jesus begins to come along and to, to make you into his workmanship through that time with him. That's God's purpose. So that you can have that sweet, unhindered relationship with God. Now, none of us will get there completely in this life. But one day Jesus will come back and the old sin nature will be taken away. And then... We haven't seen anything yet. It's going to be amazing. But make that commitment in your life as a child of God to spend that time with Him. To be in God's house because you grow through the relationships you have with other people uh, in the church. That's one reason we emphasize Sunday school is so that you can have that more intimate relationship with, with God's people and talk and ask questions and those kinds of things so that you can grow in your walk with God. Uh, <clears throat> then... If you don't know Christ today, Jesus has paid the price so that you can. You must make a choice to surrender your life to him. A choice to, to turn from sin. Knowing that God will, will help you with that. It won't be something that you'll have to do on your own. It's a step of faith. And you say, Lord, I trust that you're going to make me into your workmanship. But, but I'm choosing to cooperate with the process. And I want to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, And then you also make the choice to trust him to save you, to forgive you. If you're willing to make that choice, God will make you his child as you call out to him. And so I'm going to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. And I just want to talk to you this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to say... You say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus, but I'm ready to surrender my life to him today. Uh, I'm ready to, to follow him and let him begin to make me into his workmanship. Uh, I'm ready to trust him to forgive me. Is there's anyone uh, here this morning that you say, that's, that's my heart, Pastor. That's what, I don't, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'd just like to know so I can pray for you. Anyone here this morning with that struggle? Father, thank you so much for the fact that Jesus paid it all. Thank you, Father, that my price has been paid, my sin has been canceled because my Savior is good. 
and because he died on, on the cross in my place. Thank you, Father, for your amazing love. I pray that you'll have your way in this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation, and uh, maybe you didn't raise your hand as I asked about that, but you do want to give your heart to Christ. Uh, just, I want to just invite you to come. I'll be standing here at the front, and you just say, Pastor, I'd like to give my life to Christ, or, or Pastor, I don't remember what to say, but I'm ready, and I'll know uh, what you need to do. Uh, but, but come and make that choice. And, uh, we can say a, a brief prayer. You could give your heart to Christ. It's just that simple. The Bible says, He who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can leave this place different than you came. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're a child of God, but you've been neglecting that relationship with God that he so longs to, to have in your life. And you've not had the joy of the Lord. You've not had his peace because you've not been walking with him the way you should. Maybe you remember a time in your past where you were close to God and you were walking with God, but you've just kind of drifted. And you need to make a, a fresh commitment. Lord, I want to spend time with you. Uh, I need you to work in my heart and, and, and change me and help me to follow you with all my heart. Now, the altar's open. Uh, maybe you need to come and just say, Lord, I'm making a first-time commitment. I've never done this before. I'm making a first-time commitment. I will have regular daily time with you. Uh, maybe God has touched your heart. There's a step you need to make that I've not really talked about today. Maybe somebody needs to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Or maybe you need to, God has, has helped you sense in your spirit that you need to join our church. This is where you need to be. Uh, I want to invite you to come. Maybe there's somebody who needs to make a commitment that God has just touched your heart about as I've spoken. and I've not really even mentioned it, but God is dealing with you about it. I'm going to invite you to come. Will you do business with God today? Uh, right now. Will you? Let's stand.